It's season three of Ing Podcast, a production of Meadow Media's Leader Magazine. What does it mean to authentically follow Jesus? So the pressure for me is to say, can we, can we uh, see the scriptures as generating that kind of activist spirit? I think all the folks that we were able to get into this project would share that kind of passion that the scriptures actually don't squash our activism or, or our passion for justice. It actually uh, pushes us. This understanding that God is still with us, right? Um, even in the midst of everything we're facing, God is still present. Join us as we talk with people of faith who are creatively thinking, growing, and being. People who are reimagining and exploring what it means to enrich faith in a complex world. Our conversation begins now. Join us as we journey together. Hello again, friends. Welcome to Ing Podcast. We are so glad that you are here with us again. We have another um, really interesting book project to take a look at here today, and I'm really excited to be joined by two people who have edited a book called Do Black Lives Matter? How Christian Scriptures Speak to Black Empowerment. Um, This feels so um, relevant, ongoing relevancy here uh, in the United States, um, but but really culturally in a lot of different parts of the world to think again on how our faith speaks to um, black empowerment, to racial justice, and to have two prominent uh, thinkers here with us today feels like a real privilege. I'm joined uh, by a familiar friend, uh, Reverend Dr. Dennis Edwards is here with us after uh, some time away from Ing Podcast. Dennis used to be one of our hosts of the podcast, and uh, since taking on the seminary dean and vice president of church relations at North Park Theological Seminary, um, you've had to pass on uh, some Ing Podcast for the last two, several months, Dennis, but yeah, it's good to have to you pass, back here. i pass on a few things, but... <laughs> Continuing to be busy. It's really great to have you. And we're joined by your uh, co-author, co-editor, Dr. Lisa M. Bowens, who is an associate professor of New Testament at Princeton Theological Seminary. Lisa, thank you so much for taking the time to be here with us on Ing Podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Great to be here. It's a real privilege to talk to you both. Um, I'm curious uh, if you would start just telling us a little bit more about how the two of you connected with each other. You're both sort of thinkers and teachers and educators in church spaces. How did the two of you cross paths and um, get to know each other? Well, I'll start on that one, at least how I remember it, Lisa. I um, I actually, I don't know if I ever told Lisa this, but there was an essay of hers that I had cited a few times that um, touches on some of the themes that are in her recent book on... Um, on liberative readings of Paul by African-Americans. Um, she had an essay, but then I got to meet her in person at a society of biblical literature conference where we were both in the same, um, the same, uh, study, same group there, the, um, same session, the missional okay. hermeneutic session. That's what I remember. <laughs> <laughs> do you want to, do you want to clarify that or add anything else? <laughs> right. Yeah, I, I remember that as well. I met Dennis at society of biblical literature, um, and it was just, I think, an instant connection, right? Because we were both interested in um, the New Testament and yep. in ways in which um, African-Americans have read scripture in liberty yep. ways. So there was just an instant connection there. And yep. I used Dennis's book, Mike, from the margins in my class. Mm. 
And yeah. he's been gracious enough to visit my class via Zoom <laughs> right, right. a number That's of right. times and talk about his work. So, yeah, yeah. it's just an interesting connection there. I think yeah. we're both interested yeah. in a lot right. of the similar, similar mm-hmm. issues. Yeah. So have you done any writing together leading up to this uh, this book project? No, um, we hadn't been on anything in common, although we were in those common spaces. And uh, and but and we both had connection to Wiffenstock publishers, and um, so mm-hmm. we we were approached by Wiffenstock about this. So we each knew the same person at Wiffenstock, and mm. we had done other work, but we didn't uh, we hadn't worked together on a project. This book comes out uh, June first, twenty twenty three. It's still not out yet at the time that we're recording this. Um, and I'm curious uh, from reading reading the summary. Uh, the two of you have compiled a volume of essays that highlight black resilience and how scripture sort of speaks to this resilience. I'm curious if you are going back in the archives, if these are, are essays from, you know, all of, uh, of history, or if this is a collection of brand new essays that have been put together, um, what went into assembling this collection and, and how do you describe it? All the essays deal with black resilience and as the subtitle says, how scripture speaks to black empowerment. And um, the idea for this volume came about um, after the murder of George Floyd mm-hmm. and thinking about how can we as scholars speak to this moment, right? How can we as scholars speak to this moment um, in which there's so much um, pain and trauma and um, yeah, just wrestling with what faith looks like in the aftermath of such a tragedy, right? Yeah. And so Dennis and I were very fortunate to um, be able to assemble a, a wonderful array of scholars from New Testament, Hebrew Bible, Old Testament, ethics, theology, history, uh, so we were able to actually just bring together great scholars, great thinkers, um, people who could speak to this moment. And it's a, it's a continual moment, right? Because we're yeah. continually right. having That's these right. type of events happening where unarmed um, Black people are being killed. So um, it really was a journey, I think, since I, in, in yeah. saying that for both of us. It was a journey um, in assembling these scholars, but it's also a journey as you read their essays. Mm. All of them are very powerful mm. and yeah. have insight into what faith looks like in the midst right. of this. Yeah. I, I agree with that. And, um, and, and just adding a little piece when you mentioned uh, or when you asked Ben if they are old or new essays they they're they're new essays but you will find that uh, some of the scholars are drawing on you know years of their work and thinking mm-hmm. and so I'm sure there's some overlap with thought that they may have expressed previously but the essays are for the most part really new and and we've included the voice of some practitioners so there's some sermons that punctuate yeah. uh, the scholarly work as well. So I'm excited about that. So you get you hear scholars' voices, and then you also hear passionate preacher voices too. Yes. Wow. What What was your um, litmus test or criteria for who you asked, who you shoulder tapped? How do you How do you sort of cast the net to 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 put together this collection? 
<laughs> I'm laughing because that was hard. I mean, there was so many people that um, really could have been in here. We cast yeah. the net widely based on our own um, appreciation of African-American scholars who are out there doing work. Um, there were some folks that I didn't know that Lisa had relationship with in contact because I thought, can we really ask that person? You know, and, got, <laughs> and she said, oh, yeah, we can reach out to so. So so we um, yeah, there's some folks who are um, who will be really very familiar names. I mean, for example, Dr. Angela Parker, she's been doing some wonderful work in New Testament and um, and she has um, her own book that's really taken off. And um, and it was, you know, it was just the grace, grace of God that she was able to, you know, speak into this volume. Mm -hmm. Now, I just called out one name. I should call out, call out all the names, but, but there is, there were some folks that, um, we just, we did cast the net really widely and said, can we ask these folks? And some, some folks, you know, they graciously were not able to, but I'm, I'm just so surprised that so many that were able to, um, offer an essay for this volume. I called out a New Testament person, so I should probably call out a few others too, but, <laughs> but we've got folks in OT and new, you know, Old Testament, New Testament and theology, just like Lisa said already. Um, yeah. So I don't, I could, I could go down the whole list of names, but um, uh, maybe I will come back to that if I can find our, <laughs> our uh, table Master of list. Handy. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Do you know just offhand how many voices have contributed to this volume? Yeah, so so far we have we have twenty people, um, twenty contributors, and that's including the sermon writers, those who wrote sermon for the volume. Yeah, altogether twenty, including Dennis and myself. Right. Okay, and is there um, a component of the book that uh, that you all have have written, trying to tie everything together? Uh, intro. Lisa gave the uh, first stab at that, and then I set, it sets the stage to say what Lisa was saying earlier about the moment that we were that we were experiencing. And unfortunately, that moment is not past us, right? I mean, right. so so even though it was the murder of George Floyd that sort of prompted us pulling these voices together, um, it, that, that that reality has been with us and continues with us. So. Um, so yeah, the, the the intro kind of does that. It says speaks to this moment, and then how these voices kind of contribute. I, I'm going to add a little piece in there, in that, um, in my own experience over time, I would hear Christians sort of be a bit dismissive about issues of race, as if they're sort of ancillary to our study of the Bible or even our understanding of what the gospel means and such. So the subtitle "Scripture Speaking to Black Empowerment" was very much a deliberate way of saying that these are not merely sociological phenomena that are separated from theological inquiry, that, that what we're experiencing is something that the Bible speaks to. And that's what we, we wanted to make that clear. Thanks for that clarification. I'm guessing there'll be some that read that subtitle and think, well, this is a book specifically written to, uh, to African-Americans, to the black community, um, but I, I get the sense that this is not limited in that way. Can you can you say more to who you were who you were thinking about this audience for this book? Yeah, I think it's not um, limited to African Americans, um, but it does speak to African American experience. So it's not limited to African Americans, but it speaks to um, African American experiences um, and. 
I think also those who aren't, you know, African American can learn a lot from reading these essays as well about yeah. what um, your what black what their black brothers and sisters are going through and how scripture empowers them and how people can walk a, walk alongside um, their brothers and sisters of color in um, moments of pain and trauma and how they can be allies and be in solidarity with those who are experiencing um, difficulty in, in existing, mm-hmm. right? Um, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's not, we don't mean to limit it. My, my own children, I have children who are millennials. They looked at the title and they said, well, some people are still asking that question, do Black Lives Matter? We think that some folks already have an answer to that question. I think the thing, what the question does is stimulate both. You know, it's sort of mm-hmm. folks who are, who would identify as black would say, of course my life matters. And then they'll look at the subtitle and say, ah, the scriptures are speaking to this. Yeah. For some white people, there might still be a question mark out there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so this yeah. is a way of saying, in case you've wondered, um, we're here too, you know? Yeah. And yeah. Um, and so I think it's a, we, we intend for anybody to be able to read this and hear our voices um, unapologetically. And I would add too, one of the things that's also I think important about these essays, at the end of each essay, there are discussion questions that um, we hope that, you know, once people read, they can maybe use this in a Bible study group or a cell group or or, um, Sunday school, and that these questions will be a way to talk about what you've just read. And to engage um, the readings and discuss, um, you know, in a thoughtful, constructive way. Now that we've read this essay, how does that um, speak to to our community? What can we do? What can we be about? So that was another thing we thought intentionally about, is including discussion questions after each essay to generate discussion and thought. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Lisa. I had actually forgotten about that for a moment, that we do have those discussion questions. I mean, there's also rich bibliography at the end mm-hmm. of, each, of each essay. Yes. The 500th anniversary of Anabaptism in 2025 gives the church a unique opportunity to celebrate and dream. Menno Media invites you to celebrate and dream with us as we embrace this anniversary's hope and possibility by creating fresh, forward-looking resources for Anabaptism's quincentenary celebration. Each resource will offer spiritual inspiration, connection, education, and invitation to the Anabaptist community and to the broader Christian church. To learn more about Anabaptism at 500 or how to contribute your story to these resources, visit anabaptism at 500.com. I worked as a campus pastor here at Penn State University for six years, um, trying to be at the intersection of faith and peace and social justice. And one of the tensions that I didn't expect before I arrived was that quite often the justice-minded students would say, you know, faith is part of the problem. We don't want anything to do with the faith community. And somewhat frequently, the the students of faith would say, you know what, my faith is all about heaven and, and discipleship. It has nothing to do with, with justice issues. And there were, it was almost as if these two groups didn't know how connected they were. And I'm, I'm guessing that's 
some some tension in this compilation of essays too. Did do you did you feel that as you were trying to put it together? Did you have any? Um, I guess probably since you're reaching out to mostly biblical scholars for their feedback, you may you may not have gotten that kind of pushback. But um, can you speak a little bit, I guess, to that tension between those those worlds that sometimes seem at odds with each other in the in the way that our our culture and our context um, shapes things? You know, I I suspect. I mean, I have certainly sensed that tension from others, but um, but Lisa's work is one of those places. And I'm thinking mostly of your recent book, Lisa, that shows how this activist spirit among African Americans, even in the you know 18th, 17th centuries—I mean, going back or 19th centuries, let's say 18th, 19th centuries predominantly—that those activists of the 18th and 19th centuries were often um, energized by their understanding of Scripture. Mm-hmm. And and I think the thing that—and here I am really celebrating Lisa's work because. Sometimes we don't read Paul as that kind of liberative voice. We might yeah. see him even as an oppressive voice. So the pressure for me, as uh, maybe not for others, but it's to say, can we can we uh, see the scriptures as generating that kind of activist spirit? Mm-hmm. And and um, and for some, I think they they might not read that. But I think all the folks that we were able to get into this project would share that kind of passion that the scriptures actually don't squash our activism or, or our passion for justice, it actually uh, pushes us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, yeah, Dennis is right about that. All of the contributors don't see that dichotomy, right, yeah. of justice is over here and faith is over here. For them, it's all interwoven. Yeah. Um, there's no juxtaposition and I think you'll see that in every contributor's essay, the understanding of scripture, of Christian faith as um, really central to, to justice, what we're called to do as believers. Mm. Um, yeah. Thank you, Dennis, for lifting up my work. <laughs> I think, um, you know, when I wrote that book, it was a journey for me too, to kind of go back to our historical forebears, right? And how they thought about scripture and how scripture for them, as Dennis said, energized them to seek justice, right? To um, go against what they saw as injustice and racism. For them, scripture spoke life and, and they embraced that. And that's what spurred them to, um, do what they were doing in terms of social activism. So that for them, there was no dichotomy. And I think for these contributors, you don't see that dichotomy either. I think it, it happens most frequently in white spaces. Now that I think about it, that, that, that separation or that tension exists. Um, but especially in the, the young adults I was working with, for those that understood how they connected, they were so much relief in finding other people who also felt that way. And I think that's why a book like this is so important. Yeah. Um, it's almost like you have to hide half of yourself when yeah. you think that the other half is against you. Right. The, uh, yeah. I, I oh think, my. yeah, I think about like, like Christian students who were also LGBT had to mm-hmm. kind of hide away their, their faith when they were in the LGBT center and hide away their, mm-hmm. the queer part yeah. of who they were in the, in the spiritual center. And, um, yeah. and yeah. when we, when we bridge that gap and we're able to see 
this is holistic. This is a part of a bigger movement. And it's not just something our modern minds are pushing together, but we're part of a long history too. I think that is just so empowering to, to have voices like the ones you've compiled in this book remind us of, of this tradition that we stand on and this, um, this movement that, that we are, we are becoming a part of. Um, so thank you for that. I, I imagine another tension is, um, when you're working with generations and centuries of white supremacy is that it can be fairly depressing work. <laughs> um, where, where were you seeing hope in this project as well? Like you were saying, um, we almost need this book to be written every month because it just seems like there's always another story around the corner of this pain and this violence. Uh, how, how, where are you finding hope in the midst of, of some of that pain? That's a good question. I, I wrestle with that a lot. I mean, I, it's not like I'm a hopeless person, but I do find myself um, um, struggling at times um, to think about uh, change. And mm. we have um, we have a long tradition, at least in the African American community, of of um, praying for, singing about, uh, hoping for change, and and perhaps even um, looking forward in the next generation. You know, and uh, and I say that now as an older person that, um, man, I don't like to admit it at being older, but when I'm looking at some of these younger scholars who have um, picked up like this mantle and, and, and this charge, that's hopeful for me. Yeah. It's sad that they have to, you know, but it's hopeful to me that their voices um, press into, um, into our world situation and whether it's conf conflict or even spaces of, of hope and joy, but they speak into it with a new kind of uh, enthusiasm that for me, as a, when I was a younger guy, I didn't see as many people doing that. There were so few um, African-American scholars, especially in Bible, that um, we, we didn't have this collective big voice, you know? Yeah. And so it's growing. So hope for me, I guess I'm saying, is I see it in the upcoming generation of scholars. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um... And I would just add that I think one of the things that runs throughout the project is the hope that Dennis lifted up and the sense of the God who spoke in the past is now still speaking. That this, that this, um, this understanding that God is still with us right? Um, even in the midst of everything we're facing, God is still present. And so I think mm -hmm. you see that in these um, essays as well, combined, as I said, with the, the hope of um, the presence of these voices actually is a hopeful time, right? Mm -hmm. That we were able to have these contributors speak and write and talk about this topic is... Um, at least when I think about it, when I think about like the, those who, as I said a few minutes ago, who came before, they long for mm. this generation, right? Those who came before who were not privileged to um, go to uh, graduate school or get an education and how they longed yeah. and prayed for the day um, when... Um, future generations would be able to do what they couldn't do. 
And so you see in this volume um, the generations that the, our forebears prayed for. As Dina mm-hmm. said, it's sad that we're still having the issues of racism and all of that. But at the same time, recognizing that these voices um, have come about because of those who came before. And so there is a sense of hope in that, right? That um, the God who was present in the past is still present with us now, and it's still speaking through voices in the present. Yeah, amen. So you, you said there are 20 voices involved in this. Um, can you tell me a little bit about uh, the diversity of, of who's involved and, and give us some names too, if you're able? Mm-hmm. Yes, we have a range of folks who are working in this book. And uh, as you noted, Lisa and I both work in the New Testament, but we have people who work in Old Testament, some in theology, some in history, like Lisa mentioned earlier, some practitioners. Um, I want to read to you um, the list of folks that are contributing. I'll just give their names and not their positions at their schools. But if, if your listeners are interested, they can find these folks. In addition to Lisa and me, there's Joseph Scrivener, Angela Parker, Jennifer Kaland, Jamie Waters, Danjuma Gibson, Valerie Landfair, Antonia Damon, Brian Bantam, Reggie Williams, Joy Harris-Smith, Vince Bantu, Marsha Clark, Antipas Harris, Luke Powery, Ephraim Smith, Danielle McRae, David Daniels, and I think one more person, Lisa. Yes, Jamal Dominique Hopkins. Lisa, can you tell me a little bit about how you've structured all these essays in this book? Sure. So we have three different parts in the book. First part focuses on um, biblical analysis of blackness. That's the name of the first part. Okay. And in that section are um, biblical scholars, those who are engaging um, Hebrew Bible, Old Testament, and New Testament, and talking about what blackness is in light of Scripture. That's the first part. The second part. Um, It's called Theological Reflections and Expressions of Black Empowerment. And in this section, we have um, theologians who are talking about um, Black empowerment. We have um, historians in this section as well, ethicists talking about uh, uh, Black empowerment from their particular vantage point. And then the last section is a section on sermons. So we have a variety of sermons, and that section is called Sermons on Blackness. Um, So again, um, homilies on on how to preach, I guess you could say, from a Black Mm. empowerment perspective. Wow, that's so that's so cool just to hear that structure and that that uh, way you've crafted this, I think will be really powerful. Well, friends, I really hope um, that you check this book out. It gets published on June 1st, 2023. Um, And again, just so grateful for Dr. Lisa Bowens and Reverend Dr. Dennis Edwards for your work in compiling this. The title again is Do Black Lives Matter? 
how Christian scriptures speak to black empowerment. And it has been life-giving to me to hear the two of you talk about this journey of putting this together. And I hope that all who pick up this book will find it meaningful as well. Get a, get a pile of copies and uh, use it as a study guide. Use the study questions there. Um, help reimagine what your faith community can be like by using this title in Amen. your um, daily and weekly worship. Uh, thank you, friends. Thank you for this offering to the church. Really appreciate it. Amen. Thank, thank, you. thank you. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Yeah, thanks, Ben. Next week on Ing Podcast, we're joined by Herald Press author Todd Winward. And it might have been my own defiant ego, but I don't think so. I think it was God speaking that said, this place of death will be a house of life once again. So that vision, that prophetic imagination to turn this defeat and from the ashes to be resurrected felt like a God thing. As always, we'd like to thank our guests and all who support Ing Podcast. Thank you for joining us on the journey. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a review in your favorite podcasting app. And if you have something to share, send us a message at theing at menomedia.org or by leaving us a voicemail. Ing Podcast is hosted by Reverend Allison Moss and produced by me, Ben Weidman. Views and opinions expressed on Ing Podcast are those of our hosts and guests and may not represent that of Leader Magazine or Menno Media. Ing Podcast is a production of Menno Media, a nonprofit publisher that creates thoughtful Anabaptist resources to enrich faith in a complex world. To find out more, visit us online at menomedia.org.